Welcome to Church Alive Orlando podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and helps to show you how God is moving in your life. And now, here's lead pastor, Mike Coleman. Um, how many of you believe we live in very prophetically significant times? Okay. Uh, let me tell you something we're working on. I, I just... Um, um, most of the, the, the writing I do with, with other ministries is ghost writing. Um, the advantage of that is I can say really weird and controversial stuff, and that person takes the heat for it. Okay? And, and that's wonderful. Um, we've just finished and wrapped up a writing project. Um, I'm not supposed to say who it is or what it is because um, the publisher would not like that. But a lot of you know I work with him. I talk with him, and he said it was okay to dance around it. Um, I said that because we've got a lot of new information in there about what's going on prophetically. Now, here's the thing. If you study prophecy, do so through the lens of Scripture. Okay? Don't do so through some weird guru sitting on a mountain somewhere and saying, this is what's going to happen on this date. The moment someone starts setting dates, run. Run, forest, run. Get away from that, okay? That, that's no good. That's not of the Lord. That's not how He works. Or if they sensationalize, or if it makes you more confused, or if it makes you afraid, all those things that the Word of Jesus Christ and the message of hope is not supposed to give us. Now, with all that being said, I've been given permission to take some back of what I've written and put in there and on um, October the 13th, October the 13th, uh, on a Sunday morning, we're going to do a prophecy update. I'm going to be using multimedia. I'm going to be using pictures that have not yet been published, and nor will they be until the first of the year. I'm going to be referencing one of my best friends in the whole world, Danny Mazar. Danny is one of the curators of the Dead Sea Scrolls in Israel, and they have just recently discovered and found a whole new cache of scrolls. Um, he said, Mike, what we're finding in there, it's not going to change the gospel. It's going to add to it. He said, it's, it should set us on our ear. That morning, I'm going to be doing a prophecy update. Why that day? Because that is also the beginning of Feast of Tabernacles. There are a number of feasts, uh, biblical feasts in the Bible, three of which are prophetically significant especially. One is the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. That's when it was time to remember what God had brought them out of. I'm absolutely convinced, personally, if you don't believe this, you don't have to, that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Word became flesh, and tabernacled, dwelt amongst us. And there's just a lot of reason, because when Jesus was born, look at all the hints. Taxation, that's done at the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? The Romans had enough sense to know you tax the Jews when they come to Jerusalem. And that feast, more than any other, is when they would come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple and to have time together. It was like a combination of our Thanksgiving and Christmas. They just roll it all in to one. Visit with family. Pay your, your temple uh, dues. And that was the time of the census. That was the time of taxation. The sheep we find, are not in the hills of Judea. The sheep were where? In Bethlehem. That's key. That's a second hint. 
And there's more and more and more and more we could go on and on and on about all the different reasons of everything that we see the scenario when Jesus was born. It would have been, to me, during Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, because all these hints. The Bible, if you'll pay attention, the Bible gives you all kinds of insight. If you'll just take time to read it and study it, to read between the lines, to see what's really being said. And when, when something is written, you know, it didn't have to be written in there when it was time for all the world, well, the, the Jewish world, to be taxed. Or the sheep were in Bethlehem. All these things, they're, they're hints. Now, the second Sunday in October is the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. Very prophetically significant. So we've chosen that day to, to tell you a little bit about Feast of Tabernacles and also do a prophecy update. It's not going to be sensationalized. It's not to create fear. It's to hopefully bring you a hope and help you to realize, yeah, these are the things going on around us that day in, day out, we become desensitized to what's happening in the world that confirms the Word of God. And sometimes we overlook those things. So I'm very excited to be bringing that to you. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to start talking a lot about refuge. That leads up to the Feast of Tabernacles. That leads up to that time. By the way, the other two prophetic feasts are Pesach, Passover, which we demonstrate through Easter as the Christian believers. And um, then uh, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Trumpets, okay? Or the, the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Yom Teruah, the Day of Blasting. And the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. And when that rolls around, we're going to share with you the sounds of the shofar. Uh, I call the shofar God's Morse code because there's over a hundred different distinct signals that were blown in the shofar. And one that is most powerful is the sound that would be blown by the priest on the pinnacle of the temple when it was time to come up and worship the Lord on these feast days. Okay, the karua, uh, very, very distinct, very set-apart kind of sound. It, it has particular sounds that are attached to it, and um, hopefully we'll have someone here that day that can blow the shofar and kind of give us an example of that. But I want to talk today, we, we talked about it the other day, we did a live, um, we did a live feed on, on Facebook um, before the, what we thought the hurricane was going to do, and it's crazy, we had over 800 views of that. Um, it, it's crazy. And I told someone the other day, he said, Mike, that was really pretty good. I said, you know, um, I wouldn't watch it, you know, because I think I'm about the most boring guy. How many of you, you feel like you're just really boring? You just don't want to hear yourself talk, and that's pretty much how I feel about me. And, uh, but I know God gives me a word, God gives me a message, and so I just do my very best to bring it forward. But over 800 views, and we took this because I felt like it was such an opportune time that God is my refuge. Now what I want to do today is, is share with you a, a, a little bit in detail about five particular scriptures in the book of Psalms. What makes them distinct and set apart? Not just the fact that they have the word refuge in there, but the fact that during tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, these particular scriptures would be used. These particular scriptures had a very important and dynamic place in Sukkot, in the times of Jesus. You say, well, you know, I'm not sure that all those Jewish feasts are for us today. 
You don't have to keep them. You don't have to observe them. But first of all, let's not define them and identify them as Jewish feasts. They are a biblical feast. The Bible calls them, they're the feast of the Lord. They belong to God. We simply celebrate and observe them. Now, something I'm going to do that's a little different this morning is when I put, uh, if we could go ahead and go to that, that first slide, Colby. Um, you will notice there's a scripture or there's an assumption of scripture and there's a scriptural reference, okay? Now, those of you that have an eagle eye, when you go to these particular verses, you may or may not see that that particular verse that we're defining is the particular verse that you're, that you're reading. Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you a little lesson in Hebrew thought, okay? This is how they did it. They did not have the Scriptures divided up into chapters and verses as we do. They had them divided up in thoughts, okay? A running thought. And every running thought had within it a particular key Scripture. There would be a particular key scripture. Now, some of you are already going to Google the gospel according to Google and finding out, yeah, what he's saying is true. Ah, the gospel according to Google, I'm telling you, it keeps preachers on their toes. It keeps preachers on their toes. But we want to talk about refuge. A lot of different words for refuge in the Hebrew Old Testament and in the Greek New Testament. We have to understand what each of them mean and what they're talking about. I'm not going to bog us down with a word study this morning. But simply to tell you, there are a lot of areas in our life we need refuge. A lot of places in our life where we need to have that place. And as, as, as I shared on the, uh, uh, the live feed on, on Facebook, and I shared, brushed against it Thursday night a little bit when we had our little... That was, that was a very special anointed time. It was about... I don't know, 20, 25 of us over here, just in this side room, just very informal. We went around, we talked, we, at the end we, we prayed over needs and shared, and it was just very awesome. But when we start looking at refuge, what we see is every one of us, we have areas in our life where we need a place of refuge. The common denominator about refuge that I want you to see, it's a place that there's just enough room for you and God. Just enough room for you and God. So what you have to do to go into your refuge, you have to peel everything else away. You have to lay everything else down. And you have to be determined in your heart and in your mind that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. You know, we read that scripture and we think about sin. I think you'll separate me from the love of God. And then it lists a whole bunch of things. But how many times when our mind should be on God, it's on everything else, it's on controversy. It's on, they said this, and he said that, or they did this, and this happened, and on the way to church this morning, blah, 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 and all these things go on in our lives, and these things separate us from God. These things begin to divide and cut us off from the plan that God has for our life that day. How many times when we come to church and God has said, I have a blessing in store for you, that gets sabotaged because our minds are peeled off over here, or we go over there, or something else begins to distract. And it's hard to not do that, because we live in a very real world out there. Come on. And we attempt and we do our best to lay that down and to come in here and to focus on God. One of the things that was required of the high priest when he went into the Holy of Holies was an absolute focus. 
The righteousness of his heart was also judged by his mind. And he said, I'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind remain and is steadfast upon me. In other words, that literally means you don't let anything separate your mind. Now, God is my refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Okay, Psalm 46.10 says what? It says, be still and know that I am God. <laughs> okay, now what is that? Called? Be still and know that I am God. That is the key scripture for this thought that's going on here about God being my refuge and strength. Okay? So, to understand that, that God is my refuge, that God is my strength, that He's a very present help in trouble, we have to, what's it requiring? It's saying, be still. Because in being still, we discover what? We discover who He is as God, and we discover how He as God is going to work in our life. The next one. Psalm 73, 28, if you have your Bibles, go over there. Well, I'm not sure I agree with this. Well, then don't. You know, as far as, as, as the pattern of, of thought and keenness. Psalm 73. Ken Carroll, boy, it's so good to see you guys here today. I was, I was in that side room praying and I heard potato, 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 potato. Some of you don't know what that is. That's the sound a Harley makes. Potato, 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 potato. If you wreck, then it's mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes. <laughs> and I heard potato. I said, okay, who's coming in here? It's not Cheryl and Denise. They've moved away. It's not me because I know it's not me. I didn't ride my Harley this morning. And I look out and it's Ken and Carol and Ed and Judy on their <coughs> Honda. <laughs> I love you, Ken and Judy. I mean, Ed and Judy. <laughs> love you guys. Love you guys, but your motorcycle sounds like a sewing machine. It does. I mean, it's pretty. I love it. It's a beautiful bike. I'm probably going to get one too. It's a geezer glider. That's what old guys ride, like me. Okay. The scripture is, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord have my refuge. I have made. We do not have creative abilities, but what we have is choice. And hopefully in that choice somewhere, there is determination. Determination that my mind is made up that I'm going to do this. My mind is made up that I'm going to be healed. My mind is made up that I'm going to walk in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. My mind is made up that no matter what my physical and medical diagnosis may be screaming to me, I'm going to live in that refuge. I'm going to go into that place where there's only room for God and me. God separates Himself from a lot of things, but one thing He will not separate Himself from is His promises. If you want God's promises, you find it in His presence. If you want God's promises, you find it in His presence. Okay? So, Psalm 73, 28 but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. That I may declare all thy works. What does it mean? Not just with your mouth, but with the miracles He gives you, with the sustaining power He gives you. Out of the Bahamas, there's these reports of miracles that are starting to come in. It's just amazing and incredible what God is doing there. 
to these people that are in a desperate moment. We've lost church after church after church after, after town after town after village after village. It's, these places are devastated. They're, it's like this big eraser just came along and just knocked everything down. They will rebuild. Next Sunday, we're going to start collecting. Those of you that want to bring, um, go on my Facebook page. Um, you'll, you'll see some things that we can do to help offset that. Uh, Representative Scott Plakin, uh, I love Scott. A couple of months ago, um, I, I was honored to be a part of he and, he and Rachel's wedding. And they're just sweet people. And God has laid it. Any of y'all see him on CNN yesterday? It, it was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And he, uh, God laid it on his heart to do something. So we were talking. He said, Mike, I don't know what to do. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I, I just see, I see food and, and medical supplies and, and desperately needed things for babies going down there. I said, okay, how are you going to do it? I said, airplanes. He said, that's what I was thinking. So I didn't tell him anything God had not already told him. He said, Mike, you just gave me good confirmation. Other people did too. I was not the only one. But um, it's exciting to see how when there's a need, when there's a situation, God raises people up. What if it's you? What if next time there's a need, God raises you up? Are you going to answer that call? You're going to do it? He's your refuge. I have made the Lord my refuge. Psalm 57. Be gracious to me, O God, for my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. Be merciful to me, O God. Psalm 57.1. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you in the shadow of your wings while I make my refuge and through these calamities pass over. What's that talking about in the shadow of your wings? David had the boldness to literally go into the temple and go into where the Ark of the Covenant was and there kneel before it and worship God. He was bold enough to eat bread off the table of showbread. Jesus was bold enough on the Sabbath that he and his disciples, they went into the field and collected food. And they were greatly condemned for that. But the thing is that I want you to focus on with David here in this psalm is not where he was, but what was happening. There was no greater place at that time to be in the presence of God than there before the Ark of the Covenant. Back in 1991, hey, Judy, were y'all going to the sanctuary then? When I went over there in the Gulf War? I'm, dumb, I'm that dumb guy that goes to, to, to places like that. And, and one of the reasons, uh, you were there, yeah. Bonnie, you and Jerry were there probably. Hey, the Lord laid it on my heart. Go to Israel. Israel was getting pounded with Scud missiles. Now this is what was going on. Rabbi Yehuda Getz, some of you met him, some of you heard him speak. He's passed on. Uh, he was rabbi over the Western Wall. Uh, he invited me over. He said, and when I got there, he said, he said, I said, I don't know if I can come. He said, you have to come. So we got there. And he told me, he said, this is why you have to come. He said, the first Scud missile that hits Jerusalem, we're bringing out the ark. It's under the temple. We're bringing it out. I went, okay. Um, that night over coffee at his house, there was about 20 of us there, a lot of yeshiva students and, and um, guys training to be rabbis and guys training, being trained in temple, animal sacrifice, worship. We started talking. Who's going to touch it? And they looked at me and they said, you're the Christian. I said, I'm not stupid. I'm not touching the Ark of the Covenant. I'm not touching it. 
And so we had this great theological debate that raged about that. And we went into a discussion of, so 1991, of something that I want to point out to you here. It's there in the greatest presence of His glory. Now, we know we have that in us, every one of us, every moment of every day. The word shadow, it implies something that's unknown, something that can't be seen. Folks, at your moments and at your times of recognizing the greatest work of God in your life, there may be a shadow that he works in. Shadows are always painted as being something negative, but it's not. Sometimes God is hiding you in that shadow. Sometimes God is hiding his plan for you in that shadow. Jesus was hidden from the devil until his baptism. And he comes up. And the voice of God from heaven speaks as the Holy Spirit manifesting in a dove, came and set upon the Son. There's the Trinity right there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, saying, this is my beloved Son, specifically pointing Him out in the very next thing. And Jesus was led into the, into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. Isn't it interesting? As soon as the devil, that's Him. Well, not because He's a genius, but because God said it. Very next thing, Jesus is being tempted. Sometimes God wants to preserve you from that and protect you and guard you and bless you and watch over you. He puts you in a shadow. A shadow can sometimes separate you from people. Separate you from being able to connect the dots. You ever have those circumstances in your life you just, you're just kind of frustrated because it's like the answer's almost there, but you can't quite put it all together. Maybe it's God doing that. Maybe it's the Lord saying, I don't want you to put it together because I want to put it together. Because if you put it together, the design is flawed. If you put it together, you might leave something out. If you put it together, you might take a shortcut. Oh, I love shortcuts. But if he puts it together, it's perfect. And the end result will be perfect. So don't be afraid of the shadows. The shadows separate you. Sometimes the shadows put you apart. Sometimes the shadows will almost make you seem and feel lonely. Like, I don't know where I fit in. I don't fit in in the world. And I don't fit in in the church. Let's, read, let's define what the church is. This is one of those places where the church comes together. But we all know the church is not brick and mortar. And I am so tired of pastors condemning people. Oh, you know, you don't go to the church. You must not love God. Uh, oh, it makes my head explode. It honestly does. It grieves my spirit when, when people that I know are good people that love God, that are filled with the Lord, are resoundingly condemned because of their habits or lack of habits in coming into a building. I know this is being recorded and it's, people are going to hear this. So I'm very careful with that. So here's the thing I want you to see. Sometimes the shadow protects you from people. Sometimes the shadow protects you from circumstances. Sometimes the shadow protects you from religion. And the past couple of months, I, God has just really dealt with me about the spirit of religion. And, you know, we hear this little thing, I see it on Facebook all the time, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I get that. And I, I've said that a lot. But really what I like to say more is my relationship with Jesus is my religion. 
But in the same sense, religion is what? It's really nothing more than our attempt to get to God. And if we can't do it in the way that we think it should happen, then we start doing it our way. And the very thing that should be that tool and that access and that instrument by which we walk in right relationship with Him becomes a God that we've made for ourselves that is in no way even remotely similar to the church that Jesus Christ established. If Jesus suddenly appeared outside of the second coming and walked amongst us and he came in here unannounced and unidentified and just sat in worship with us and he looked around. What would he say? What would he see? What would he think? How close to or how far removed are we from what he intended his church, the body of Christ, to be? Are we malignant? Do we have growths on us that don't belong? Do we have cancers in us that will kill us? Do we have things about us that make us dysfunctional? Is there things in our church mind that keeps us from putting on the mind of Christ? All these are things that I think about, things that I'm becoming consumed with, things that I'm just ready to say, God, peel it all away. I want nothing but you in my life. Do you feel that way? God, I just want you in my life. Very quickly, Psalm 18, 12. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. The rock, well, that's so prophetic too. Who do people say that I am? Some say, Elijah. Some say this one, some say that one. But who, Peter, do you say that I am? Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. And he looks at Peter, and to understand it and to demonstrate it the way it was specifically said in the original text, Thou art Peter. Petras, a little rock, not Arkansas, just a little rock. But upon this, that word this there, it defines personal. It brings attention to oneself. But upon this, like when God said, this is my beloved son, it's pointing to something or someone. But upon this rock, Petra, big rock. I will build my church. That's why there's such sometimes misunderstanding about, well, Peter is the rock upon which the church was built. No, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus was the rock upon which the church was built. Psalm 18, 12. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed. Hell, stones, and coal of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave His voice. Hell, stones, and coal of fires. Now, that's weird. What is that all about? It sounds like judgment. But if you would go back and read that, which is the key verse, Psalm 18, 12, the key verse in this chapter, it's talking about answers. God brings answers. 
Every time coal and fire and arrows is going on, it's not judgment. Sometimes it's the answers that are desperately needed. Don't ever say, God, give me a vision, and not expect God to clear your forest. You say, God, give me a vision. Let me see clearly what's ahead of me. He, you know what He's going to do? He's going to clear out the undergrowth. He's going to clear out the mess that keeps you from seeing what He wants you to see. Next year is 2020, so yeah, we're going to play off of that, and we're going to talk about 2020 vision. Well, there is no vision. People perish. And we're going to share some of that. And, and the whole idea of what vision is, it's not always easy and simple. It's sometimes very, very hard. And it involves, you ever cleared a piece of land? Any of you? Yeah, I, I remember my dad and I, we, my, not my dad and I, my dad bought 40 acres one time in Tennessee. Guess who helped him clear it? So I get on a, y'all know what a bush hog is? We had an international harvester tractor. So all summer, man, I'm on this thing just back and forth and cutting limbs and tearing stuff down. Then we got, I said, well, that's not too bad. Then my dad handed me a chainsaw. And so I started with a chainsaw. Well, this is not too bad. It's a little harder. Then after the chainsaw, he handed me a shovel. And after the shovel, he handed me a, a little thermal ground burner. You know what those are? You put oil in them or kerosene or, or, or some kind of a slow-burning fuel and you go along and you set fires. He said, son, don't you burn down my 40 acres. He said, you burn from here to here and it will put itself out. And you burn from there to there and it will put itself out. We started burning off the undergrowth. And what, what didn't take long, you know what started happening? Green grass started coming up where those ashes were. And sometimes to us, God has to take the bush hog Sometimes he takes a chainsaw. Sometimes he takes a shovel and sometimes he sets it on fire. But what comes out is new life. How many of you are ready for something new in your life? Okay. Oh God, let something new happen. Hang on. Because <laughs> when you say that, things are going to happen. Psalm 62. Let's go over there. Then we're going to have a time of ministry together. If you didn't have an opportunity to have communion, please do so. Psalm 62. Trust in Him at all times and in all circumstances. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You know what? It's interesting. The key verse, and that's why I wanted to end on this one. The key verse in Psalm 62 is verse 8. So I will sing praise unto your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. You know what that daily vow was? We all have vows, whether you realize it or not. God, I want to serve you with my whole heart. Okay, that's a vow. God, if you will save my children, I'll do this. That's a lot of times just making agreements with God. And I understand that. I do it too. When I'm praying for my loved ones, God, whatever it takes, I'll do it, God, whatever it takes. Um, I'm at that point now where uh, Patty and I are, are going away today. We'll be back next Sunday. By the way, how many of you, uh, if, if we have like a little Bible study here Thursday night, you'd like to be here? Any, anyone? Okay, Seth, there's enough hands, brother. People say, so we'll meet in the side room over here, circle the chairs like we did last Thursday when 25 of you were here. When we get back, God has called me to a fast. 
Um, <clears throat> I don't know how long it's going to be. Um, why am I doing that? First of all, out of obedience. When God calls me, it's not hard. When I do it on my own, it's hard. I become a bear. If I'm just on a self-imposed fashion, you do not want to be around me. But when God calls me to a fast, it's no big deal. I'm only telling you this because the Lord told me this morning, He said, tell them what you're going to do. I believe very much in prayer and fasting. I believe in this body of believers that there are some things we can't quite put our finger on. There's some things that are not right we can't quite put our finger on. There's some things that are right, but and they're part of our destiny we can't quite put our finger on. And some of those things are intentionally in the shadows by God. But let me tell you what else likes shadows, and that's sin. Sin loves shadows. We're not going to have that. Why am I going on this fast? To bargain with God? No. In my life, fasting has never changed my circumstances. It's never changed people around me. It changes me. It puts me in that mindset of, God, I'm laying everything else down to just simply focus on you. How long? I don't know. It will be joyous. It will be easy. It will be an honor because I'm doing that for you, for us. I'm doing that for the future of church alive so that we can begin to get our hands on some things that we need to respond to, and we can get some things out of the way that don't need to be here so that we can grow in grace and in knowledge of who He is. Now, <clears throat> as I go into that, I would just simply ask you to do several things. Number one, if the Lord ever just lays it on your heart, but it makes sure it's Him. You're not just, well, pastor called us to a fast. Oh, this is one that makes my head explode. We're going on a Daniel fast at our church. There, folks, there ain't no such thing. It's a diet. It's not a fast. Oh, I hope I didn't offend you. If I did, I'm sorry. I didn't, I'm not trying to be coy or smart or a smart aleck. It's just, I think it's an error in the body of Christ. The Daniel fast. Daniel... It was a diet. He ate. You know, and he gave up something. You know, it's a great thing. It's a discipline. God moves in it, but God uses it. But let's make sure when we describe and talk about it that it's accurate. Ooh, I feel it coming back, so that's okay. If God calls you to a Daniel diet, do it. God calls you to fast for a meal, I had a friend, he said, you know, I fast breakfast every morning. I said, dude, you sleep till noon. Because <laughs> he's a night owl. He's up to like three or four in the morning studying. He said, yeah, I fast breakfast every morning. I said, I'm not impressed with that. I know what time you get up. So it's easy to fast breakfast when you sleep till noon. It really is. Don't fast to lose weight. Because you know what? The minute you started eating, boom, it's going to be right back. Why am I doing it? Because God called me to do it. God told me to tell you, which I never do. It's to, to me, it's a very personal, a very private thing. I hold it in privacy. I, I hold it as a sacred obedience to God. But for some reason, God told me to tell you, and so I did. That as your pastor, I'm going to be seeking God. With my life, 
And I'm going to be seeking God with my spirit for on behalf of us so we can move forward in Him. So what are you saying? For whatever length of time God calls me to it, He's my refuge. He's my refuge. And fasting is that place there's only enough room for He and I. I don't go into it with any expectations because when you go into a fast, when you go into a prayer season, when you go into a prayer time with an expectation, you know what? You're going to be disappointed. Because your expectations are simply your imagination thinking, I want this to go in this direction. Very rarely is expectation founded or birthed in vision. Usually imagination. Well, if I fast for, for a week, then God is going to do this. No, let me tell you what's going to happen. God will change you. If you fast for one meal, God will bless you and He will change you. He will show you something. We've got to hear from God. We've got to hear from God around here. We've got to get God's voice. We've got to know God's purpose and will. We've got to see God work. Oh, pastor, do you want to see God move? It's not about what I want. It's when I read in the Bible and I see what He's doing. And it's like, why should it be any different in our midst? God's put an amazing thing together here. This past week, Wally posted uh, a video when he and uh, Debbie were at... Um, Calvary Assembly. It so moved me when I watched it, I reposted it because Wally well, just simply reminded me of the legacy that you and Debbie have brought to Church Alive and the anointing that you brought with that. When, um, when I think about Harris and Jenny and I, and I think about this guy, he and I, we, we bounce stuff off of one another. We, we challenge one another. We hold one another accountable. I love this guy. Um, I love hanging out with him. I love hearing his wisdom and his words and his insight. God's put him here. Seth, our youth pastor, you won't find a better youth pastor anywhere. Seth and I sat yesterday and we talked and we said, we got to find the answers, Seth. We got to find the answers. None of us are discouraged. This is not about discouragement, it's about hunger and thirsting. And it's ironic the more spiritually, hungry I become, the less physical hungry I am. The more I thirst for the things of God, the less the easier it is just to push the plate away and give that time to God. Now, I know some of you, because of medical conditions, you can't fast. I will never call us to a fast unless God tells me to. And watch Him do it now that I've said that. I don't ever plan because to me that's such a personal thing and it's such a private thing. And, and when people just simply do it out of a good heart because they, they want to support the pastor, I think it falls far short of what God intends it to be. I think it has to be a personal challenge to you. God's setting you apart to do something. I don't want to go through the status quo. I don't want to gather here every Sunday. I'm not saying we do, but I don't want to gather every Sunday and just go through the motions. Because you know what? I can get on my Harley on Sunday morning and ride and feel God. I can go hang out with friends. I can sleep in and really feel God. Why do I come together with you? Because to celebrate Him and to enjoy His presence and to leave here encouraged because we've encouraged one another. We've blessed one another. We've ministered to one another. We've enjoyed His presence and His purpose in a very special way, in a very powerful way. And so I encourage you, got a medical condition, don't do it. 
well, I, I, I'm guilty that I don't feel like I'm supposed to fast. Don't do it. Don't, don't, you, you rebuke that guilt. I come against it in Jesus' name on your behalf. Because then it becomes religion. Becomes religion. I'm so sick and tired of that mess. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the imposition of religion upon the body of Christ. Any of you feel that way? Well, you're quiet today. It's almost scary. But you know, I love you. Would you join me in entering a season of Him being our refuge? I desperately need that in my life. I need that place where I can go to where it's quiet, it's peaceful. That place where my wife and I can go into together. And there's only room enough for us in Him. There's not room for the world. Do you have that place? Do you have that place where there's no room for the world? It's just a place for you and God. Maybe you do. If you don't, seek that out. Look for it. God, show me a place. Show me a place in my life. It may be a literal place. My dad had a place on our property. He built this little shack on the back. And none of us were ever allowed to go in there. You stay out of there. There was a lock on it. He had the key. Mom said, I don't know what's in there. <laughs> and one day my dad said, I, I want to come show you my prayer shack. And we went in and there was pieces of old poster board on the walls and there's scraps of paper here and there and there's every Bible you can imagine. And he said, come here, I want to show you something, son. And I looked at this wall and written on it was a prayer. My name. I said, okay, you can leave. Then he brought my sister in. He showed her this wall with prayer with her name. And then my mom. Then he brought all three of us back in and we stood there as a family. He said, and he pulled one away, he pulled it up and, and stuck the bottom of it up on this nail. And he said, this is us. And we stood there as a family, the four of us. It was a prayer for us as a family. He said, every one of these prayers, all four of them, God gave them to me at different times when I fasted. My dad would go out there and spend the night, pray and seek God. So for him, that refuge was a literal place. Maybe you don't have that opportunity. Maybe you don't have 40 acres. But there's a place, some place, it might be just in you, where you can have a refuge with God. You know why we get, become beaten down and we get tired and we get discouraged? And we get to that point we just want to throw our hands up? We don't have a refuge. There's got to be a place we can take a break. I was talking to, I was reading, no, I wasn't talking, I was reading an article one day, but Gordy, Gordy Howe, the, the hockey player, y'all remember him? He said, we used to intentionally draw penalties so we could go in the penalty box and have a break. He said, we'd intentionally check somebody or said, if, if that didn't work, we'd just take our, our stick and just hit somebody with it. He said, oh, thank God, they finally, finally saw me get into the penalty box, a place where there was a rest. You need that. You've got to have that. I challenge you to seek that out in your life. It's not in here. It's not it.
This is where we come together for a whole different purpose, other purpose. We're going to be talking about it as we get near Feast of Tabernacles. But you need a refuge. Thank you for joining us online today. For more information, check us out at www.churchaliveorlando.com. Have a great week.